Hello and welcome to episode 339 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we're coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks. Hello, the Brandon Browner edition. <laughs> yes, yes indeed. The LOB is back and the Brandon Browner edition rises again for the third time. Uh, fourth time? 39, 139, 239, 339. That's, this is that's the correct. fourth Brandon yes. Browner edition. The first time there was one, he was probably on the team. I, I, maybe not. I don't know if we ever got to 39 episodes on the first run. Okay. That's close to a full year, and I don't think we got all the way there. Well, a, may I be the first to wish you a happy Thanksgiving? Is it still a couple days away? Wow. I guess I guess you can. <laughs> a happy Thanksgiving week to the listener. <laughs> it may be after Thanksgiving by the time you listen to this, for all we know. It's a special treat. We are bringing back for the first time in, I think, three years. The classic ranking of top five Thanksgiving foods with Nate Duncan. There we go. What year did we record that? Uh, we recorded that in 2017, I believe. All right. Stop listening to this. Go back. It's at the end of this episode. It's at the end of the episode. Start. Start. This is like uh, stuffed crust pizza. You're going to want to do this <laughs> one in reverse. Start at the end. Listen to Nate Duncan. We'll see you in a little bit. And you're back. Wow. <laughs> what a ride that was. I was walking around, like, not Westlake, but an area around there because I worked in an office at the time because this was way back in 2017. Yeah, the audio quality was noticeably poor. Was it, it was for like, me or for everybody? For I all think of for us. me, too. It was like, why didn't we just use Zoom? Yeah, yes. Why didn't we invent and use Zoom? <laughs> Zoom may have existed in I, 2017. It might have existed. I but I was in an office... Where I couldn't just in the middle of the day with my coworkers do a like 45 minute long podcast about top five Thanksgiving foods. What a strange time it was. Well, let's get into this week's podcast, uh, starting with our beer, uh, which is the Future Primitive Their Body, Their Choice IPA. This is one I've been excited to get to because I've had it on in storage, having purchased it before hashtag fresh hop season. And now that we are basically out of it's fresh aged. Season, yeah, it's, it is well aged. Uh, when we released her body, her choice in June to raise funds for the National Abortion Fund, we were overwhelmed by the support from the community. So much that we knew we had to brew another batch, and we altered the name to reflect the fact that not everyone in need of abortion access identifies as she, her. There we go. Their body, their choice is hopped with cashmere, comet, galaxy, motueka, and warrior benefiting the ad abortion funds. All right, so. Certainly a terrific cause. First up this week, we toast to Kalen DeBoer, who signed a two-year extension that now takes his contract at the University of Washington through 2028. DeBoer initially signed a five-year contract for $16.5 million when he was hired as UW head coach last year with his uh, $3.1 million annual salary, putting him ahead of just two current non-interim coaches at public institutions in the Pac-12 Arizona's, in the, the Pac-12. Yeah, Arizona's Jed Fish and Washington State's first-time head coach, Jake Diggert. His new contract gives him a $1 million raise to $4.2 million next season, increasing annually by 100000 with retention bonuses in March 2024, 2026, and 2028, if he's still the head coach. I, I love Kalen DeBoer. It's been an incredible season. He seems like a very good coach. 
Uh, we've had a great year. I would love to be as successful as a college football coach that had one good season, not even a good full season, but like a good half of a season because this time of year, the fear starts creeping in amongst college presidents and athletic directors. And I think this is probably merited. Like obviously DeBoer's salary was low coming in because of the fact that he was coming from a non-Power 5 conference, etc. Oh, he should be one of the highest paid coaches in the Pac-12. But the the idea that like the UW should be terrified of a power conference, another power conference school stealing him away. Granting that if Lincoln Riley can leave Oklahoma, if Brian Kelly can leave Notre Dame, like there's no such thing as like a non a full destination school anymore. Maybe Alabama is the only one. Granting all those things, the odds that Kalen DeBoer gets fired are way higher than the chances that he leaves for a better job. You think so? Oh yeah. With any coach. Like, if there's one lesson I've learned in the past five years, it's one of your favorite coaches has taught me this lesson. I can't wait. Because you remember when we were like, how many first-round picks would you trade for Sean McVay? Uh-huh. And now the Rams are... They're not firing Sean McVay. I'm not, they're not firing Sean McVay. I'm saying the line between coaching genius and uh, coaching reject is a lot thinner than I think we would like it I would, to believe. I would love... If Sean McVay was on the hot seat. That's the thing about I mean, Coach just, That's what I'm saying, though. This is a bonus to make sure that Kalen DeBoer does not have any conversations this year. And for, hopefully, for the next foreseeable handful of years. But they saw all the writing on the wall. They have, they have seen Lane Kiffin's name. And they know that they have got to keep Kalen DeBoer out of these conversations. Because they know that he's going to be part of them. He would have been part of them. Yeah, and was mentioned today is uh, in the Nebraska cut change search. Which also, it's like... I know that you might make more money somewhere else. Nebraska's the new... God, what, what is the school? I feel like UW was kind of like this for a while, where it was just like, well, we were good two decades ago, so every coach wants... One time, Nick Saban coached with Don James, so he must want to be the coach of UW. That's Nebraska. <laughs> I don't Nebraska know. thinks... Did people say that about Nick Saban? I, I, oh, there's definitely... There's been a person out there. There's been a person who out there who's not just oh, thought, thought the thought. Sure, I'm it, sure there's a media a member. Person. A media member who has... They have done the math. They did the comparison. They just... They threw it out there. I guarantee you. Okay. Uh, not that many people want to live in Lincoln, Nebraska. To me, it's more about Nebraska has become like UCLA bas- men's basketball was for a long period of time, where it's like, good luck dealing with all those expectations in a situation that actually is not as good. This as is a lot just, of this is just for Jimmer, too, for his trolling on the fucking <laughs> oh, USA World Cup yeah. team. Well, we'll find out on Friday about that one. Oh, I can't wait. I seriously, like, that's actually the sporting event that I'm looking forward to the most this week. Wow. Really, if we had that on Thanksgiving Day, just come on. Come on. I know you don't want to conflict with football. I get it. But, like, if there we could have had that. There is just too much sports going on with the World Cup right now. If we could have had that as the appetizer, UW England, like, there's going to be emotions. <laughs> on Thanksgiving you Day. Just call it UW England. I UW love England. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert about the UW Poor baby. program. He coaches everything. Coming later in this program would not go well, probably, for UW. Uh, uh, UW. <laughs> it's like the boys in the boat. <laughs> Look, I don't know if you've seen UW men's soccer, but bring on England. Oh, you haven't read, read um, your head on the notes? No. <laughs> Still bring on England? Oh, boy. Anyway. Uh, 
No, it is kind of funny. Like, the Nebraska job was not the job that I was concerned with. But there were coaches out there who were making money. If the Auburn... Well, Auburn... The idea was that Lane Kiffin was going to go to Auburn. If Ole Miss opened up, something like that. There's going to be a carousel. We are in this area where there is going to be a carousel every single year that is more significant than it has ever been. I mean, not to get too serious for a second here, but it strikes me as very similar to CEO pay, where, like, the justification is... Well, more money means they're a good coach. So the more money we pay someone, the better coach they are. But that's not, I don't know if that's exactly it. People are not competing for CEOs in the way that they compete for head coaches as quickly as them going around. I, I was thinking about that because the Washington Post had an interesting story as part of their series on the lack of coaching diversity, lack of black coaches in the NFL about you know, the New York Giants hiring process and the fact that they have never hired a black coach in the history of the franchise with this, which the Seahawks also have not, although they have not hired as many in uh, recent years. They've had much more stability than the Giants have had in that position. And part of it was like, what other like industry would you hire a coach within like two weeks or like hire as such an important per figure in your organization within two weeks of letting the person go and not have any sort of broad search or anything definitely does not help the process. I don't think it's the problem, but it's, it's weird. I mean, it, it leads to more nepotism probably. Sure. And the connections that you have and like the relationships with search firms and places like that as well. We should start a search firm. Oh my God. Such a racket. Oh, yeah. It's the most amazing racket. We could hit up Matt Rule. <laughs> <laughs> Any day. <laughs> Get him on talking taco time. All right. Our other test this week. But I guess congrats to Caitlin DeBoer. I guess yes. if, it, if anybody has taken public money, I hope it's him. <clears throat> <laughs> At least he's good. Uh, congrats to former Seahawks, Ricky Waters, Devin Hester, and Dwight Freeney among the 28 modern era semifinalists for the 2023 Pro Football Hall of Fame class. Definitely three players that wow. you associate Seahawks primarily legends. with the Seahawks. Look, we will always have Devin Hester and that punt return in the playoff game. Against the Falcons. I mean, yeah. that was... He had some... There were some moments in those couple of weeks with Hester. He would have been like a hero if the Seahawks had managed to win that game. I still remember them winning. <laughs> All right, let's get in. I really more still have a hard time remembering when the Falcons were that good of a team. <laughs> it is it is truly shocking to believe. Let's get into our food update. It's the last the fourth <laughs> week of Lil Woody's fast food month, the Lil Crunch Wrap Supreme coming out this week. There is a fifth month of or a fifth week of November of okay. fast food month. I'm fascinated to see what happens in the fifth week of fast food month. They they announced the four. This this was called by Lil Woody's the last week. This was called the last week. It was. Wow. Because next week, the the day that it flips over, Tuesday, November 29th. That is correct. It's still November. It is not December of Fast Food Month. I'm just, I'm curious personally what's going to happen. We also had multiple requests from the listener. And by multiple, I mean two. Uh, <laughs> for me to review the Maono Hawaiian barbecue chicken sandwich that I tried on Sunday before I went to see. We should have tested this. USA, take down Canada in women's hockey 4-2 as yeah. part of the uh, rivalry series. Those teams, two teams are playing. It was the largest crowd ever for USA women's hockey in the U.S. at 14,000 right. plus. So very exciting to see that at Climate Pledge Arena. But it afforded me the opportunity because as soon as I saw this on Instagram, wanted to try the Maono barbecue chicken sandwich, which is it's really more like a Kahlua pork kind of style, but using chicken instead of uh, pork. 
So in there you've got pulled Kahlua chicken thigh, uh, salted cabbage coleslaw, the Maono hibiscus barbecue sauce, frizzled onions, <sighs> and all on the buttered King's Hawaiian oh, yeah. bun that they also oh, use yes. for the chicken sandwich, Yeah, which is a key part of the success. I mean, we know the importance of buns. Having just recorded Talking Taco Time last week, talking about the taco burger that they uh, are testing at the downtown Renton and Renton Fairwood locations with a brioche bun in place of the old hamburger bun that was on Taco Burger 1.0. So, uh, I thought it was quite good. Uh, the the barbecue sauce, since that location is takeout only. Which location are we talking? I went to the South Lake Union one. Okay. Uh, at the Rachel's Ginger Beer, is, is most of these now are, other than the uh, the ability to get Maono at the Admiral Benbow Room in West Seattle. Uh, so, that kind of came on the side, which was nice to dip my fries into, but uh, I probably should have had a heavier hand in pouring it into my sandwich, I would say to get a little more of that flavor on there. The frizzled onions were nice, but kind of ended up on the side. So. Frizzled? These are like crispy onions, yes. right? Okay. Onion straws? Yep. Okay. So overall, I thought it was quite good, but like this would only be the kind of thing... I would never order it over the Moono chicken sandwich, which makes sense given it is Seattle's best sandwich. Tristan's still upset I about rolled my eyes. declaration. I, I exaggeratedly rolled my eyes. That is correct. I feel like given given what's happened with my Moono and how it's transformed... I still won in the end. Tats is still there, right? Tats is still there and going strong. I mean, Maono is, has the same number of locations. But it's definitely transformed. Yeah, they've made it more chicken sandwich more sandwich focused. <laughs> yeah, that's how they transform. All right, fine. Fine. Uh, Thank you. The pulled Kahlua chicken thigh, because that to me is the biggest question here. Sometimes pulled meats in that way can end up getting a little bit dry. I don't think that was really an issue, especially once I had the barbecue sauce on there. I it was it was a bit smokier than I expected. I would say in a good way or a bad way. In a more good than bad way. The problem to me is that the chicken thigh sounds good on its own. You just want the thigh, on it. yeah. Like, give me a sandwich with like a piece of fried chicken on it, and then the chicken thigh on the side. <laughs> <laughs> Side of chicken sandwich, side be, of like, chicken thigh. Honestly, pulling a Kahlua chicken, or pull, not a Kahlua chicken, <laughs> Chalua, from the Kahlua region, <laughs> pulling a chicken thigh kind of defeats the purpose of the chicken thigh. I don't know if I necessarily say that, but it is something we associate more with pork. You get the juiciness of it when it's fried, right? You get the juiciness, you bite into it because of those bones right there, right? And that dark meat. Yes. It's incredible. But the bones get pulled out if you're... You're, you're saying just That's what I'm saying. Oh, By okay. pulling it, you're kind of ruining the chicken thigh. Okay. You're ruining what makes the chicken thigh great. Interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way, but I don't. I think they're just doing this as a sandwich, so. Not as a side, side of chicken thigh. No, not as a side <laughs> of chicken thigh. That's going to be a thing from here on out. A side of chicken thigh. Just <laughs> give me one. Wherever you go. Especially when you're alone in Charleston. Get that alone side in Charleston. Thigh. With Look, I don't, I don't need a side of chicken, chicken thigh when I'm alone in Charleston. I need the whole thigh. That's the meal. <laughs> no. Wait, what? <laughs> but it's not going to be like I'm going to have something else and a side of chicken thigh. The chicken thigh is going to be the meal in Charleston. Uh, but it might be brisk at the, at the Lewis Barbecue there. Or not the Lewis. Yeah, I guess the Lewis Barbecue. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about the Blazers this week or... Uh, is the three-game losing streak their own reason not to talk about the Blazers? Uh, I think it being November is the reason. I mean, they're in a three-game losing streak with close games without Dame, right? 
Dame left the middle of those three games against the Jazz, then missed their loss in Milwaukee, where they, they actually were quite competitive, I think, without him in that one. Uh, he did play in the game I was at last Thursday, where they lost to Brooklyn on a late tip-in by Royce O'Neal. Oh, yeah, I watched that game. Which is a really fun game. I mean, I, mean, I, I don't know if it was a bad loss for the Blazers to lose to Brooklyn at home. I think they're just a they are they are a competitive team. This isn't like a, a team that got lucky early in the season and it's all going to fade away, right? Like all available evidence, even them playing well without Dame, is that they're going to be a playoff or a play-in team. I think they're trending more towards the play-in than I thought a week ago is what I would say, or two weeks ago, whenever we last, whenever we talked about them last. What about the Jazz? Are they still good? They won that game against the Blazers. Uh, then they lost to the Clippers the other night without Paul George. Uh, they're still s- tied for first in the West at 12-7. and seven. You know who's only a half game behind them, though, in the Western Conference standings? Who's that? Sacramento Kings. Oh, the Kings are hot. The it, This could be, I mean, it w- won't be the year because the playoffs don't happen until 2023. But we could have, within a 12-month span, both the Mariners and the Kings on their playoff drafts. That is looking quite plausible. Do you take a victory lap on the Kings because of Keegan Murray? I, Keegan Murray has only played okay. I mean, he's starting but hasn't played great. But I also was very Kings over. That was one of the locks that I gave, or my favorite bets that I gave in the uh, the low post before the season. It was the Kings over? Yeah. Is But at the same time, on the flip side, part of the reason the Kings are making the playoffs is because of the Halliburton trade. Well, Zach and I talked about this a little bit when I was on the low post earlier this week because we talked about the Pacers. And I was talking about Zach, Zach this, Zach that. I was talking to Zach on this podcast. <laughs> okay? I get it. You do other podcasts. <laughs> I don't like to be reminded of them here. I'm not faithful to this podcast. <laughs> there was a stretch. Ask Zach what he thinks about chicken thighs. There was, there was a stretch at one point of six consecutive weekdays that a different podcast I was on came out. Including the Pelton cast and the Taco and Taco time. <laughs> uh, well, Terry There's Hall- a lot of things Zach doesn't do that I do. <laughs> <laughs> he very rarely wants to talk about Utah versus England. <laughs> Utah versus England matchups. <laughs> He's probably deft at geography. <laughs> Definitely better than you. Uh, <laughs> So Tyrese Halliburton has okay. been better than DeMontis Sabonis has been this season. But maybe not better. But is he better within the confines of the Pacers and Sabonis is better within the confines of the Kings? So the big thing that's happened is De'Aaron Fox was playing quite poorly when he was playing alongside Halliburton. Mm-hmm. And now he is playing at an all-star level as well. So he's been the Kings' best player, and that's kind of unlocked things. Okay. So... They, basically, they needed to make a move. You would have preferred that they traded De'Aaron Fox and kept Halliburton. Which they would have been selling low, but then I think that the the value they got for Halliburton was selling low on him because, again, he's arguably been a, a top 10 player in the league this year. Dang. Almost certainly a top 15. All right. And he's still... Like but so, so you're, you're taking... The victory lap that you're taking is just about the Kings over, not about Keegan Murray. Yeah, not about Keegan Murray, yeah. Okay, you'll wait. You'll take a victory lap at some point. I mean, I'm still hope. Well, feel, I'm hopeful he'll play better, and I'll have the opportunity to take a victory lap. Still, 22, Tyrese Halliburton. Good God. Yeah. Well, let's get into our roundup, starting with the Mariners, who Hello. had a busy past week, starting 
when I think not long after we recorded our podcast last week, they traded reliever Eric Swanson and prospect Adam Macko to the Blue Jays for outfielder Teoscar Hernandez. An all-star in 2021, a silver slugger in the outfield in both 20 and 2021, who turned 30 last month, still has one year of arbitration eligibility left before hitting free agency. And uh, probably part of the reason the Blue Jays traded him because they, he will likely command a raise from last year's $10.65 million salary with uh, ESPN's David Schoenfield estimating $14 million, but uh, well worth it. After hitting around 290 with on-base percentages in the 340s during his two silver slugger seasons, Hernandez fell off there last year, hitting 267 with a 316 on-base percentage, but power was still there. He hit 25 home runs in 499 at-bats, and his 807 OPS was better than any Mariners hitter not named Julio Rodriguez. What's not to like here? He also hit a pair of home runs in the Mariners' sweep over the Blue Jays in the playoffs. I mean... Do you, do you want to say more about Teoscar Hernandez, and then, and then we'll get into it? Yeah, because there's one thing not to like, which is that he is rated below replacement as a defender. Does have a strong arm, having led right fielders and assists last season as he did in 2020. My first assumption was the Mariners would probably play him more at DH, but it doesn't sound like that. Uh, Jerry DePoto mentioned getting Winker more of his at-bats at DH, which uh, would be a positive given his defense last season. It's It's really early. It's November. A lot is going to happen in the outfield between now and, I mean, you even think about... Something happened in the outfield and later in the week, we'll get to that. But what this Mariners team looked like, yes, but like what this Mariners team looked like even in June and how it looked for the rest of the season, like we just can't say this, you you don't lock in players unless it's somebody you're paying... $30 $30 million a year to or whatever at a specific position right now. Sure. And and for Teoscar Hernandez, it's just he is a bat that's going to be around in the outfield as DHs, whatever. He's going to be a bat, yes. Is this is the only reason that we'd be upset about this because he's replacing Mitch Hanniger? Which Mitch Hanniger still could return. Like They're still saying they want to sign one more outfielder to be part of this starting mix. Uh, you know, it's basically they've talked about a lot of at least four outfielders for three positions. And I, I guess Jesse Winker is part of that potentially as well. I, we got to make room for Haggerty, although maybe maybe more infield this year for Haggerty. That's what I, I think Haggerty moving to. I was telling Mrs. Fantasy Genius she got her Haggerty jersey in the mail yesterday because that incredible. exists. Uh, and I was like, it's a dangerous time of year to be a fan of a role player. <laughs> Indeed it is. But like when it, the Swanson jersey just came. And, and like I'm sad about losing Eric Swanson having a good bullpen player, right? Having a good reliever. But just knowing that relief is pretty variable from year to year. Correct. And that Swanson was amazing last season. But... He still, he still also wasn't the most important Mariners reliever or maybe even one of the top three. Hitting is much more consistent from year to year, right? And it's something that is always going to be valuable. We're talking about hundreds of at-bats for Teoscar Hernandez, right? Hundreds of games started versus for a reliever, it could be a handful of innings, right? I mean, probably more than a handful, but yes, in, in higher leverage potentially. But that's, again, the the aspect of Swanson not being the Mariners' most important reliever. And I think to some degree they were probably selling high on him after what was easily the best season of his career. Hernandez, they're buying low to a degree coming off of a down season. So Relievers are like running backs, kind of. If you find yourself paying too much money to a reliever, you're probably doing it wrong. 
It's interesting because there have been some pretty massive deals for relievers so far this offseason. It's been one of the most notable thing, including, as we've talked about, former Mariner Edwin Diaz. Just because there have been. Have the, people must have broken this down, where you should spend your money in baseball. Relief has to be at the bottom of that. But even the Astros, and this was supposed well, yeah, I guess I say even the Astros, they did fire their GM, and supposedly their owner, Dayton Crane, is interfering much more in baseball decisions than he used to. And was After responsible the for World the series, reliever. Contract. <laughs> he just wasn't happy. Very, very complex. Uh, recommend Jeff Passan's story on that one. It was like a, a Ram style World Series win. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't think you could call it that when they, were, when they were in the ALCS four years in a row, I think. But they played the Phillies in the World Series. How many games did the Phillies win? That team is the fucking Bengals of the NL. Oh, Look, possibly so. They, we all got games, excited about it. How many it games did the Yankees win? What? How many games did the Yankees win? Don't worry about it. I think they won plenty. No, on the way, the Rams beat a good team. They beat the Buccaneers in the playoffs. True. I get it. They beat a single good team in the entire playoffs. So which playoffs. team are we in the scheme of the 2021 Rams playoffs? The Mariners? Yeah. I think we're we the, the 49ers. 49ers? Yeah, we're okay. probably actually the Cardinals. Oh, no. <laughs> I hope we're not the Cardinals. <laughs> no hard knocks in season with the Mariners next year, just in case. <laughs> uh... But th- this trade in general, like upgrading the power for the roster, this was one of the most important needs for the Mariners. And to be able to go out and do it and only give up a prospect in Adam Mako and a very good reliever in Eric Swanson. But I think as long as there's more coming. Which is surely there is. I think you have to feel pretty good about this as a start to the offseason. Agreed. Free agency moving pretty slowly in baseball as it often has a tendency to do. Partially because of all the collusion. Uh, later in the week, the Mariners traded Kyle Lewis to the Arizona Diamondbacks for Cooper Hummel, who can catch and play outfield. Since winning the Jackie Robinson AL Rookie of the Year Award in 2020, Lewis played just 54 games for the Mariners over the last two seasons, hitting 143 with a 529 OPS in 18 games last season after coming back from knee surgery. Down in Tacoma, he was good, but not great, hitting 245 with 12 home runs and faced a crowd in the Mariners outfield with those additions we're talking about. Was also arbitration eligible this year and out of minor league options, meaning the Mariners would have risked losing him for nothing if they sent him down. Hummel was a Portland native who played at the University of Portland, uh, made his MLB debut this last season at age 27, playing 66 games for Arizona. He split his starts between catcher, left field, and DH, uh, adding catching duties for the first time. And as a switch hitter, he had some depth for the Mariners behind the plate after they opted to non-tender both Luis Torrens, Mariners legend Luis Torrens, yeah. I should say. We'll always have Luis Torrens. Jerry DePoto did leave open the non-roster invite to spring training for Torrens. Uh, and also Brian O'Keefe leaving Tom Murphy is the only catcher on the 40-man roster behind Cal Raleigh. Uh, DePoto also cited Hummel's 397 <clears throat> on-base percentage in the there minor leagues. As attractive to the Mariners analytics department. Hummel does sound a little bit, it's like the reverse because he went from not catching to catching. A little little Scotty Hatterberg-y. I'm down for it. I, I did not know about that. I mean, I was looking at this and I was like, I, I understand why the Mariners trained on Kyle Lewis. I didn't really understand that, why the Mariners wanted Cooper Hummel, but fair enough. I feel like Kyle Lewis is the kind of player who I always liked in theory, but I never, I literally don't even know if I watched a single game during the COVID year. So it's like the one year that Kyle Lewis was good, I was paying no attention. Right. That's like the least Mariners baseball I've watched since 2001 or whatever. <laughs> and there was probably like a random year in there or whatever since Ichiro was not on the team. <clears throat> and 
but I always liked him because oh, it was yeah. like I I do like Kyle Lewis. He seems like a fun player to watch. I just never saw him do anything good. I yes, I feel the same way. Yeah, I didn't grow the emotional attachment to him as much as I liked the idea of Kyle Lewis. Yeah. So I mean, hopefully. He can get healthy, get his career back on track in Arizona because, I mean, he showed so much promise two years ago. And, you know, he it was supposed to be him, Kelnick, and, and Julio Rodriguez. And Kelnick is still here for now. But... Uh, oh, Kelnick's coming back. I feel like there's some trade rumors out there on Jared Kelnick. I think Kelnick's coming back. We'll right. see. Anything else on free agency? None of the big free agents have signed. That's been pretty quiet. Is it open? Far. Can they it sign? It is now? open, as I okay. understand it, because Tyler Anderson did sign with the Angels. Like that was everyone. All the other major contracts, I believe, have been players re-signing, like Anthony Rizzo. But I do think it is open. Okay, so I, I'm just so unclear on how it works in baseball, and it's not. It's so different than like basketball and football, where the clock hits and then everybody signs. Yes. It's sort of just like a long, drawn-out process. I did see a report that the Mariners have inquired about Trey Turner. Okay. I skimmed through the ESPN story today with all the big free agents and where they're going to end up. And I feel like I saw the Mariners' name like one time out of a lot of predictions. So anyway, probably not going to sign Justin Verlander. Um, <laughs> what about Judge? <laughs> there's, yeah, there were a couple of ESPN writers who had Judge going to the Giants. That would be interesting. Um, but the... There was one one reporter about Trey Turner and the Mariners, okay, from ESPN. So, I trust everything that ESPN writes. I mean, I just I've seen the Warriors over under, the Kings over under, and Trey Turner to the Mariners from that one person who I don't even know who it was. And to me, I trust it blindly. Right, I'll have Look, to, Iger's back, baby. We're good. I'll have to pull up that story and see if we can associate a name with my ESPN colleague <laughs> who uh, who predicted that one. But uh, before we do that, let's talk about the Kraken, who uh. got back-to-back overtime victories uh. by identical 3-2 margins last week, giving them three consecutive games with the same scoreline after they lost 3-2 to Winnipeg in overtime their previous game. On Thursday, they beat the New York Rangers behind a pair of goals from defenseman Justin Schultz, including the winner, 339 into OT. Saturday, it was Jordan Everly who netted the winner in the extra session to beat the LA Kings. Uh, it's been a nice break for the Kraken before they conclude their homestand Wednesday against San Jose before traveling to face their Pacific rivals, Vegas, Anaheim, and Los Angeles on a three-game road trip. Where do the Kraken sit? Are they in the playoffs as if it were today? I believe they are, but I did not put that in my notes. Should I? When should I start jumping on the bandwagon here? Should I wait a little bit? Should I be cautiously optimistic? Maybe a little bit, yeah. So they are still in the third place in the Pacific, which would guarantee them a playoff spot. Is a reminder to everyone that's again the top three teams in both Western Conference divisions, and then the top two outside of that group make the playoffs. Uh, but they are they are tied for the. Why do they do it that way? I don't know. It's a good question. They are tied for the fourth most points in the West, and their plus nine goal differential is tied for fourth in the West. So, right. like the metrics look really good. I, I still think maybe you know give it a little time for some regression to the mean, but we're getting close to jumping on the bandwagon territory. I mean, they're uh, after they complete this homestand, they will be more than a quarter of the way through the eighty-two game season. All right. You just keep me posted. <laughs> I will be sure to do that. Apparently, I'm jumping off the UW soccer bandwagon. Yeah, you're definitely going to have to jump off of that. Uh, (laughs) Kylie McDaniel was the ESPN writer who had Trey Turner. Kylie McDaniel? Yeah. Who knows what the fuck is up? 
Uh, Shouts to Kylie McDaniel. <laughs> Sounders, some big news on Tuesday. Somewhat surprising news. As GM and president of soccer, Garth Lagerway was announced as the president and CEO of Atlanta United FC. The news came from the Sounders? No, Atlanta announced it first. We just saw it from the Sounders because okay. we don't follow Atlanta United on Twitter. <laughs> but it was like, it wasn't leaked beforehand? It was... It was not leaked beforehand, no. It was a rare indicate case of a team actually announcing its own news itself. So, What, what does this mean? So it, it, the timing was interesting because uh, it came a week after the Sounders had announced the results of their retention vote among season ticket holders, where more than 90% of those who voted voted to retain Garth Lagerway, but obviously that's not binding to him. He yeah, was, yeah. His contract is up. 100% of Garth Lagerway's voted oh. to not retain Garth Lagerway. <laughs> uh, that's like why these things are kind of stupid, right? Well, I mean, I think that's all, like, the point is not to ensure that someone <clears throat> stays. It's not to Kaylin DeBoer. Uh-huh. It's to get rid of someone you don't like. Yeah. You the, you were cast the vote about in this in this particular analogy, Jimmy Lake. The vote was cast last <laughs> year. Uh, so Loggerway had been with the Sounders since 2015, overseeing the most successful era in franchise history, including both MLS Cup wins and this year's Concacaf Champions League win. But uh, with Adrian Hauer, Hanauer in position with the Sounders as part of the ownership group and you know functioning in an important role. There wasn't really the opportunity for him to get as much power as he's going to have in Atlanta as the team president and the CEO. So that's a... Maybe they're not going to try to vote him out every year. (laughs) (laughs) It's every four years, I believe. It's not that frequent. They've also never voted anyone out. This is not exactly like Real Madrid and Barcelona's, the way that those clubs are run. So... Do they vote people out? Yeah. Okay. The like GMs or whatever equivalent? Mm -hmm. I think it's poor club president. Okay. So. I mean, I, the standards are much higher there. They, they're very different, yes. Uh, so there had been talk about Loggerway potentially leaving as a free agent. He was obviously, would be coveted by many MLS teams. But still, it was a little surprising, I think, to actually see it happen. I think, I think this is a two-part thing when I saw this. It was obviously the power that you're talking about in Atlanta. The, the ability to oversee the franchise in a greater way. And I, I basically knowing nothing about Atlanta United, but a, a fledgling franchise, right? Well, one that has had success. They won MLS Cup. All right. So, but they had struggled in recent years. They have a, a big budget, have been willing to spend quite a bit, probably more than the Sounders can spend because Arthur Blank is their owner. That, that was the other piece, was if I were a Sounders fan, I'd be a little nervous right now about where the Sounders sit in MLS. They dominated for the first decade or whatever of being an organization more, right? They dominated for the first decade and a half of MLS, but things are looking a little bit different. MLS is changing very, very quickly, and the way that it's changing is not necessarily changing toward what the Sounders do well. I don't know that I would agree with that. There there had to be some writing on the wall of like, there's going to be more money out there and more budgets, and things are never going to trend in a teams are going to be spending less on players' way. Well, I agree with that, but and one of the ways that they are trending is towards teams developing 
their own players. And that's something that, you know, was very important to Garth Lagerway in terms of building up the youth system. And is those things that take a money legacy too, that he has left. Like, but the, Marin- the, Marin- the Sounders have been willing to invest that you much. <laughs> the Sounders have been willing to make that investment. Uh, it's just the designated player level investment where they have been. I mean, look, they're still outspending the comfortable majority of the league. But yeah, but a lot of the majority of the leagues in Cincinnati, like, uh, I I think they're spending outspending some teams in decently in similarly sized markets because of the the fan base that they have and the you know the revenue that they're able to generate. The challenge for them is that they don't have an owner who is deep pocketed up, even though Jody Allen is part of the ownership group. But they don't have... She's not the primary owner. Yeah. Who is the primary... Is it Adrian Hanauer? Yeah, Adrian Hanauer is the majority owner of the team. So, it, competing him against Arthur Blank, like, there's going to be a difference in resources at some Where's level. Arthur Blank's money from? Home Depot. Oh. Uh, Which, if you've ever driven by a Home Depot, it makes sense. Does it? Like, they're always... The parking lot is always full at Home Depot. You don't think oh, so? Oh, it makes sense that he has money. Oh, yes. Not okay. That, that, yeah, I was not like, that he what? would own the Falcons. Because it's like Arthur Blank's Home Depot. <laughs> I was really trying to put together what that means. I was like, the Falcons jerseys are orange? I don't... I do not know. No, fucking Home Depots are popular as hell. Yeah. <laughs> I think the pandemic was quite nice to Home Depot. Um, but, uh, okay, that makes sense, though. Can I complain I, about consolidation of... Of stores for a second here. Sure, I, always. I, I rewatched the movie Singles uh-huh. because Cameron Crowe was on the Bill Simmons podcast last week or two weeks ago. I listened to it last week, uh-huh. and seeing Jay Piv wearing the pay and save oh. uniform, uh, all the feels. I know. Miss those days. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, I think that in in the one thing is we hadn't necessarily seen teams always spend their way to success. Some of those high-spending teams have not been very successful, like, uh, or at least been able to succeed at the highest levels that the Sounders have. But you do see this past year, LAFC uh, made significant investments, including uh, the player who scored against the USMNT the other day on a penalty <laughs> and won one MLS Cup as a result. That was the dude? He he's plays for LAFC? Yes, Gareth Bale scored the Oh, game. Gareth Bale was not, who it was. Not the Sorry. American who scored, no. <laughs> not, I was, not I was good. obviously, it's Gareth Bale, yes. Yeah, yes, who scored the uh, the equalizing goal in stoppage time of extra time. Like, Gareth Bale is up there with the best players who have ever played in MLS. Yes. And well, they had Chiellini as well, right? Yes. Like... Keelini's older. He's not necessarily at the same level as Gareth Bale, right? But like he's more like the quintessential MLS player. Yes, been, yes. But again, everything is going to push in that direction. Like all of the other pieces, if the salaries are coming anywhere close, the level of competition is getting higher. If when you couple that with the ability for the exposure in the U.S., like I don't, I don't know if Gareth Bale has become more famous necessarily playing in the U.S. I don't really think so. But yeah, I don't think so in, in this case. But there is the chance of it. But I think, I mean, if you look at the two best teams over the past decade, it's been the Sounders and Portland, who is also not a super deep-pocketed team. I would not anticipate that MLS is going to stay the way it is forever. We'll see. I mean, Garth Lagerway right today told you that MLS is not going to stay the way it is forever. I, do, I don't know that I would read that much into it. 
Uh, so if we look at the Sounders organization, they still have director of soccer, Craig Weibel, who previously served as GM of Real Salt Lake, a job he took after Garth Lagerway's departure from Real Salt Lake to Seattle, which was, was the case where he got a much bigger budget and uh, bigger ambitions coming to the Sounders. All right, now to UW men's soccer, who sadly will not be moving on to face England as they were stunned at home by unseated Creighton in their opening game. Nebraska! <laughs> It's a very gibber such been, been very trolled by the state of Nebraska in this podcast unexpectedly. <laughs> in their opening game of the NCAA tournament after their first round bye, having defeated Missouri State to advance on Thursday, the Blue Jays netted, matched an early UF goal by Kalani Kusa Rienzi, and the game remained tied into the 84th minute before Creighton netted the go-ahead goal through Duncan McGuire, who added an insurance goal for McGuire <laughs> 86 seconds later taking advantage of the Huskies' desperate search for an equalizer. Unbeaten through their first 18 matches, Huskies lost back-to-back at home to end their season. They'll wave goodbye to three seniors, including standouts Lucas Meek and Gio Miglietti, who were among a remarkable seven Huskies named to the All-Pac-12 teams. Meek, Kosarianzi, Elijah Paul, Nick Scardina, and Christian Soto were named to the first team with Miglietti and Nate Jones on the second team. Elijah Paul was the conference offensive player of the year, Jimmy Clark coach of the year for the fourth time. But sadly, this will not translate into another deep NCAA tournament run for the Huskies. Where's Lucas Meek heading after this? I I mean, potentially the MLS draft, I guess. MLS super draft. We'll see. All right, you know, women's basketball. That's one for Jimmer. We'll see you on Friday. (laughs) (laughs) Stayed unbeaten at 4-0 with a double overtime win Thursday over UC Irvine and a 56-39 win Sunday over Idaho State, both at home. Delia Daniels led all players with 23 points and 14 boards Thursday, playing 42 of a possible 50 minutes. While her 12 points in 19 minutes led four players in double figures Sunday, two of them being freshman El Ladine and Hannah Steins. Uh, this weekend, the Huskies headed to Las Vegas to face Fordham and Santa Clara in the Las Vegas tournament, which will be played at the Mirage Ballroom. That's great. <laughs> well, after UW women's basketball was able to eke out the double OT win on Thursday to stay unbeaten, UW men's basketball was not able to do the same. In came Cal Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> Despite the return of Keon Brooks Jr. from injury, the Huskies suffered their seemingly annual, sometimes multiple annually, home loss to a non-major program last Thursday as Cal Baptist, the highest-ranked opponent they'd played yet per Ken Palm, beat them 73-64. to Where did they rank in Ken Palm? Uh, I think 161. Huskies scored just 26 points in the first half, falling behind by seven and never got any closer than Michael five. Michael Hopkins got an extension after too, didn't he, after the first couple of years? You're, you're damned right you're he did. You're more likely to get fired than you are to get poached. Well, this was my point. It's like if you look <laughs> back on UW history, think about who, there's, there's been, uh, in, in, men's, in women's basketball, they've had a lot of coaches leave for greener pastures for whatever reasons, partially because they happen to hire people from far away from the Northwest. Like Syracuse, New York. <laughs> well, might Hop isn't from Syracuse. He just recruits there. Uh, he has a house there. I mean, he spends like summers there. I don't think he does. No, does he? <laughs> okay, in men's basketball, a Thanksgiving in football, weekend when the games are over, he goes back there. Like you throwing out like the uh, Daryl Royal who was here. I forget. Uh, th- throwing back out that era in like modern times, the only UW coach who has left for a more prominent job was Sark. For UW football. 
between football and men's basketball. No one has left UW men's basketball for a more prominent job. I I don't even know when you would have to go back to, but certainly not since Marv Harshman I mean, football is football's a little bit like, it's basically like Chris Peterson didn't leave because there have been a lot of bad coaches for UW football. But I mean, also Don James didn't leave. Like, he could have left. He also wasn't from here. I mean, I, yes. That was definitely a different era. It was a different era, but also like... We're talking a long time ago, Don I guess New Heisel. The, uh, you're really right, though. The amount of coaches who we thought could leave right. because of some short-term success. And guess who got fired? Rick Neuheisel. Not Rick, for, because of performance, but he got fired. We definitely thought Neuheisel could leave. Extended hop because he was going to be a hot coaching well, candidate no, going after way, the NCAA Let's tournament. go way farther back than that because Bob Bender. That was going to be my next yeah, example. We yes. definitely thought Bob Bender could have Who been did touched. interview for other jobs. I believe Vanderbilt perhaps was one of the jobs he interviewed. This is like 25 years the ago. The Vandy job pretty good. And guess what? They extended him. And Honestly, they I would have moved him. to Nashville too. So, so your odds of firing the coach are <laughs> It's on the list. Well. It's above LA. <laughs> but behind Charleston? I don't think I want to move to Charleston, but do you know where you could vacation to very easily if oh, you lived in wow. Nashville? It's true. So this is part of my logic here, that more but likely it, to But get it fired. definitely goes. No, you're totally then, right. Bob yeah. Bender, who, I mean, there was the run in the mid-90s, right? Yeah. We thought he was incredible. Low row. I don't know if we were, I mean, he played here, so it was a little bit different for there low row. There was always the concern about UCLA. That was but the one Definitely thought we UCLA could have been an enticing job for low row. Fired. Bob Bender, fired. Yeah. This theory holds a lot of water. And now Mike Hopkins, who has extended early. Maybe we should stop extending these. Co- it's either maybe extending the coaches was the right decision because it means that they didn't leave. Or it might have meant that it's probably better to have kept those coaches. Obviously, for Loro, it was better to have kept him. But Yeah, and I, I, mean, I don't know that there was as specific. Like, yes, his, his tenure was an unequivocal success. But the Mike Hopkins extension. Yeah. The, the I mean, is, after those two years. is close to returning a ballot. Mike Hopkins was looking great. We felt really good about him. That's, so that's what I'm saying. Sark. That's actually kind of wild. Again, yeah. in, in the UW football era, there have maybe been two good coaches since. Well, we'll count Kalen DeBoer. But like, there have been three good coaches since Don James. One of them was Chris Peterson, who was never going to leave. Chris Peterson took this job to not leave. I suppose so. It's easy to say after it happened. A lot of people thought he was going to take the USC job when he t- took the UW job. But he, once he took the UW job, that was his job. I would be shocked if Chris Peterson came back somewhere else, though, now. Yeah, that's a different scenario. I'm not counting Mac Brown leaving Texas because he spent, like, five years doing TV and then went to North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, anyways. Congrats to Kalen DeBoer on the extension. <laughs> UW scored just 26 points in the first half on Thursday. <laughs> fall, uh, no, we already read that one. Uh, Brooks shot 4 of 12 in his return. Keon Menefield 4 of 14 what? coming off the bench. Still playing 34 minutes. Why are we even talking about this? They lost to Cal fucking Baptist. The whole season's a wash. It's over. It is over. Well, we're still going to talk about it. Can we uh, just get on to remembering some years? <laughs> Frank Kepnago had 14 points. Eight boards was the only UW player who attempted more than four shots to shoot better than 42% from the field. Huskies 4 of 16 beyond the arc. But guess what? What's that? Even though the loss dropped them 15 spots in the Ken Palm rankings ahead of the Wooden Legacy Tournament this week in Anaheim, they found a team that gets worse at shooting than them. There we go. And they faced them on Wednesday night. It's Hello. Fresno State. Yeah. The Bulldogs two spots lower in Ken Palm after an 0-3 start against Division One in competition. They beat Fresno Pacific in their <laughs> opener before losing to UC Santa Barbara and Santa Cruz, San Francisco at home, and North Texas. All three of those 
teams, by the way, rated higher than UW and Ken Palm, is, is Fresno State's next opponent after this tournament, UC Irvine. Just as a little taste of who's ahead of UW in the Ken Palm rankings. But they are shooting just 25% from three and rank 347th. And the percentage of their points scored from downtown. Huskies are a solid 272nd in that category. Uh, the winner of Wednesday's game will face the winner of St. Mary's and Vanderbilt on the other oh, side of the bracket. Vanderbilt. Yeah. <laughs> St. Mary's <laughs> off to a 5-0 and start, coming off an NCAA tournament win last year. Heavy favorites to win the tournament at number one, 21 in Ken Palm. So, I mean, a chance to play St. Mary's would be interesting. Would that be on Thanksgiving Day? Uh, yes, that is on Thanksgiving Day. All right. Among the many other sporting events, none of which, sadly, are USA versus England or UW. UW versus, <laughs> versus England. Uh, UW football got a 54-7 to win last Saturday against Colorado. It was the largest margin of victory for UW in a Pac-12 game since beating Oregon 70-21 to in 2016. And as much as Colorado has struggled this season, and we really emphasized how much they've struggled this season, it was the most points they've allowed and their largest margin of defeat this season. Wow. Okay. So it was actually a pretty dominant win by the Huskies, all things considered. It was like such a freaking perfect day for offense, too. You couldn't have drawn up a more perfect day for offense in Western Washington. In November? Yeah. Yes. Uh, Jordan Perryman returned at cornerback. Huskies should be pretty healthy for the Apple Cup. And uh, we know that now, though, their path to the Pac-12 title game <clears throat> matchup with USC, which has clinched, is still alive. The Huskies need to win. Oregon State needs to beat Oregon. And either Colorado has to beat Utah or Cal has to beat UCLA, but not both of them. Yeah, not, not worried about that one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That is, that is probably safe to assume it's Colorado goes against Utah. But... The first and, and most pressing of those challenges, I guess not the first, because those other games will be played before the Huskies who play the last <laughs> Pac-12 game of the season. The last, last, and most. Are, is the, the Civil War, that's on Saturday also. No longer the Civil War. Okay. We dropped that name. Okay. The Oregon State versus Oregon game. Yes, that is on Saturday. That's on Saturday. Saturday midday. Okay. And, uh, yeah. USC's on Friday, though. Or, are any of these games on Friday? Some games, some Pac-12 games are on Friday. I believe UCLA and Cal may be on Friday, okay. but I don't quote me on that. <clears throat> I'd have to go look that one up. I mean, I'm fully in the, like, we shouldn't even be watching the other games. Or whatever. We should be watching them. But, like, we shouldn't even be thinking about what's going to happen with UW in terms of these other games. We shouldn't be worried about them. Because the most important thing, and the maybe most unlikely thing to happen... Not the most unlikely. ...is, hey, I'm being cautious here, Okay. But but far from a certain thing. Is UW beating Wazoo in the Apple oh, You see like 10-point favorites at Cal. Uh, that one is on Friday. Okay. And uh, Oregon three-point favorites at Oregon State. Well, the Huskies are two-point favorites in Martin State. Most unlikely thing to happen. Against Washington State. No, no. again, the team that's 10-point underdogs losing, winning would be the most unlikely of those things, not the team that's two-point favorites winning. Cal needs to beat UCLA. Yeah. They're 10-point underdogs. What are you, what are you missing? <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> Hold on. You're thinking about it from UCLA's perspective. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. The most, yes unlikely, the most unlikely thing I get is UW beating England. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think the, the FBI chances are of the USA beating England? 
of USA beating England. Yeah. Uh, maybe like 15%. Okay. What about a draw? You a win or a draw? Oh, win or a draw, probably a solid 35%. That's all? Something in that. I don't know. I mean, I'm just making this, pulling this out of my ass here. Uh, we could, I don't know if I can pull that up on uh, 538, but it exists somewhere, I'm sure. Rain is back. Jordan Morris was so close to having an incredible play. If if USA beats England and Jordan Morris scores a goal, we're emergency potting. <laughs> or or Yedlin. If if any player from Western Washington scores a goal and USA wins. Maybe maybe just from the Sounders. I don't know if I would do we count Christian Roldan as from Western Washington. I mean I, I certainly am happy to embrace him. Uh 46% chance of a win or a draw according <gasps> to five thirty eight. 20% win, 26% draw, 54% lose. Wow. Underrated. Uh, so anyway, Washington State comes in 7-4 <laughs> and four to the Apple Cup under Jake Dickert in his first full year as head coach, riding a three-game winning streak by an average of nearly 20 points per game as their schedule has evened out with uh, the last three games being at Stanford, Arizona State, at Arizona all four of their losses have come to teams ahead of them in the Pac-12 standings. Three of them ranked all within a five-game span, those being Oregon at USC, at Oregon State, and Utah. They have beaten a ranked opponent <clears> this <throat> season, that being Wisconsin, who Huge they one. beat at Camp Randall Stadium by a 17-14 final. Although, like the Huskies win over Michigan State, that one has lost some luster after the fact. Not maybe as much luster, but uh, Wisconsin is, is no longer ranked, suffice it to say. whole conference has lost some luster, to be honest. <laughs> uh, not Michigan and Ohio State. <clears throat> Cougs number 10 in FPI defensive efficiency, which is tops among Pac-12 teams and the best they have rated defensively since FPI has been calcula- calculated back to 2005. Did you say number 10? I did say number 10. The Cougs? 10. Yeah, Washington wow. State. Uh, I what saw, is happening that Oregon State and Wazoo play defense now? I checked out Cook Center and they How were How like, did we... Jimmy Lake leaves and all of a sudden Wazoo and Oregon State play defense? Cook Center likened it to a political party is when they switch ideologies. <laughs> yeah. Compared to the last time that UW had played in Pullman. Uh, they are allowing a Pac-12 low 3.5 yards per <clears> carry. <throat> 7.1 yards per pass attempt is third lowest and they are second to USC in forcing turnovers. It's a deep pass rush for Washington State. Brennan Jackson leads them with five sacks, uh, which the Huskies have, both Braylon Trice and Jeremiah Martin have more than that. But their 29 total sacks are tied with UW for third in the Pac-12, and their 74 tackles for loss lead the conference. Jackson and Dan Henley each have double-digit tackles for loss. Henley's second in the conference in overall tackles. Offense ranks just ninth in the Pac-12 in FPI efficiency. Uh, Cameron Ward, in his first year starting after transferring from FCS Incarnate Ward to follow his his head coach there, now the Washington State Offensive Coordinator, Eric Morris, <clears> ranks 7th <throat> in QBR. He's completing 64% of his passes, but for a conference low 10.5 yards per completion in what they are now terming the Cougarade, rather than <laughs> the, the air raid. Okay. Uh, Morris's background. They're, they're, they made a term for the conference low yards per completion. They, they did, yes. Does Zach Wilson have a nickname for what he's doing oh, also? Well, I bet he does. <laughs> I'm, uh, sure, I'm sure there is one. Actually, the answer is no. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Morris's previous background, he previously coached under Cliff Kingsbury at Texas Tech. All right. Uh, Ward fifth among... So he knows a thing or two about a low yard per <laughs> <Exactly>. completion. <laughs> 
Look, he's a little bit familiar. Ward is fifth among Pac-12 quarterbacks in rushing EPA, but only Cal's Jack Plummer has lost more EPA <clears throat> on sacks. They miss, clearly, Abe Lucas. Yep. It's a balanced receiving group with no receiver having more than 544 yards or five touchdowns. Running back Nikia Watson leads the team with 10 touchdowns, three of them through the air. It's averaging nearly six yards per carry. Backup Jalen Jenkins is over six yards per carry. And then maybe the most important part of this preview. We've been watching it. The forecast is for about freezing at game time with a 10 to 20% chance of precipitation. Seeming okay. Yes. I think it's just going to be cold. That's probably the case. I'm still a little bit shocked about Wazoo playing defense. You, you were unaware of this fact? Because the only game you watched was the Oregon game, that's and it, it was 44-41. I, yeah. I really have not watched a lot of Washington State football this year either. So, I, But I wasn't surprised by that necessarily. It's kind of funny, the games that you end up seeing throughout a season or whatever in college. Uh, I feel like I've watched more non-Pac-12 football this year than I've watched almost ever. And have watched way less Pac-12 football for some reason. I don't really even know why. I did see part of their Arizona win last week, which was a, a big win for them against Jaden Delora after his transfer within the conference. But again, we've talked about this kind of over and over and over again. There, you don't have the weather as much being a factor like we saw against Oregon State. Given everything that UW has done this season, where do they rank offensively in FBI? 13th. 13th in FBI. It's, I'm going to say that the, the computer is underrating the <laughs> UW offense, but I still, I will not, I will not believe that a team can shut down this UW offense until it happens. And it hasn't really happened yet, aside from the weather and against Oregon State. I tend to agree. So if that's the way that you're going to win the game, it is, it is really about, we talked about this with Colorado, right? UW beat Colorado. More than Colorado has been beaten all season. And that's because if you can't score on this UW defense, they're going to win. Like, that's kind of how it works for this team. If you could push this, this defense and score points, it's a, it's a little bit different. And that's how they've lost some of these games. Right? I mean, I think the Cougars may have a good enough offense to win, despite what I said about them. If you look at the team that's directly ahead of them in two spots overall, ahead of them in FPI offensive efficiency, it is, of course, Arizona State. I'm not... The fucking Arizona State game. I'm so mad about it. I wasn't that mad about it at the time because it was opposite the Mariners beating the Blue Jays and Teoscar Hernandez. Uh, I'm sure you've seen the clip of... <clears throat> uh, oh, my God. Who was it at the double off Robbie Ray for the Mariners? It was Kellenic. Kellenic hitting a double off Robbie Ray two seasons ago. No, I haven't seen this. Have you seen this? It's kind of wild to see. Um, things change quickly. Because Kellenic got a double? <laughs> yeah. Hey, mm. Kellenic's gonna have a monster season next I year. I hope so. I hope so. I I will. It's gonna be in my bold predictions. Kellenic oh. All Star. <laughs> I'm so excited to revisit this year's bold predictions. Uh. But things change very quickly. But I just don't. I just don't see it. Like I'm not really taking that Arizona State game into account that much. Yes, they played well. That UW team was not ready to play in fucking 100-degree weather at midday. Are they ready to play in 32-degree weather at 7.30 p.m.? Absolutely, they are. I it's mean, different. They, it, it was pretty different. cold last week. At they Husky have not Stadium. won at Arizona State since before I was at UW, right? I think that is probably correct. So we looked it up. It's been forever. I'm, that game is thrown out officially. The, <laughs> the teams that, that 
really like UCLA, it is a totally different team. Oregon is a totally different team beyond that. Oregon State was a close game, but the win was a huge factor in that one. I think that's the kind of game this is going to be. I think it'll be a little more. Oregon State is a better team than Wazoo is, right? Uh, Oregon State is number 16 in FPI efficiency. Washington State is number 20. Okay, so they're close. Washington is number 21. (laughs) Glitches. Glitches in the computer. Uh, but, but I just, I, uh, who knows? Maybe there could be some mistakes that Michael Penix makes. He's done it this season. You'd have to make a lot of them. And I think that I this, know, you'd necessarily have to make a lot of them. I think this, especially if they can't run the ball. I'm okay if they can't run the ball. I mean, I hope that they come out with the intent of passing the ball. They will be able to run the ball as a byproduct of how good the passing is doing. And I just. I think UW is going to win this game comfortably. I mean, the Cougs are, sh- like, yeah, they gave a whole lot of points to Oregon. They shut down Caleb Williams. I think that might have been his weakest game of the season against the Cougs. So, like, they've, they've done it to some legit-ass offense. All right. USC is number two, by the way, in the country in offense efficiency. Jesus Christ. Lincoln Riley may have been worth the money, whatever it was. Oh, we knew that USC was going to be good. I said it when they hired him. Yeah, that was that's not surprising. Uh but but for this one, the way that UW has been moving the ball, I'm not that concerned about the running. Like, the running will come with the offense. I think they're going to move the ball, and I don't think Wazoo can score against them. Enough. I guess his QBR wasn't that bad, even though he only completed 52% of his passes. Caleb Williams. Yeah, his, his lowest two games by QBR were, funny enough, at color, against Colorado, even though they won that game 55-17 because of the opponent adjustment, and then against Oregon State when they won 17-14. So, yeah, I I think this is a 50-50 game. I, I think this is anybody's game. I think UW, UW is going to win by multiple touchdowns. After what happened last year, after the, the history between these two teams and how the season's gone out, Wazoo's a good team. But I just, if this was offense, I would be scared. If this was a Mike Leach team, that was coming in here. I would say that I don't think UW is going to win, but it's about how you approach this defense. They've looked a little bit better. They played get better against Colorado. They were a better team than they were at the beginning of the season. I hope that's the case. And I, UW will not lose a game for the rest of the season. They're undefeated from here on out. Well, I definitely would not predict that because I, who knows what what as future long as may they hold. don't make the Pac-12 championship, <laughs> right? But even if they make a bowl game, well, odds going to make a bowl game. I'm sorry. Yes, if they, the odds are the bowl game they play against, they will be underdogs. I would say. All right. Based on just the way that this team up. is good, they are good. They've had defensive injuries and they hadn't quite put it together. But I think that Colorado game matters more than you're giving it credit. I'm not not giving it credit, but the credit I'm giving it is. The same that FPI gives it credit, which moves them to one spot behind Washington State. So, all right, I think there's at least a 57 percent chance of victory here, maybe even a little bit higher. <laughs> but they're gonna—it's a 57 percent chance, but they're gonna win by multiple touchdowns. Yes. <laughs> all right, let's talk about the Seahawks coming off their bye week. Let's freaking go! Where they managed to drop two spots in DVOA while not playing, which is not wow. quite as bad as getting fired on your day off, but. <laughs> Uh, they were jumped by both Miami and the San Francisco 49ers, who dominated the Cardinals to such an extent that I was like, hmm, maybe the Seahawks needed to beat the Cardinals by more. Maybe I, sh- maybe those were unimpressive wins. We played, they, they were playing Colt McCoy. 
Like Cole I, McCoy I is, like Cole McCoy. Cole McCoy. Don't get me wrong. Beat the Rams. Played great against the Seahawks last beat year. Beat the Rams? What, well, sure. Everyone what, did the he Rams. beat the Panthers too? Come on. <laughs> Held Damian Pierce to three yards. What are you talking about? Uh, the 49ers are now the clear favorites to win the NFC West in football outsiders projections. Though the Seahawks playoff odds didn't drop much overall with the Giants also losing. Pretty good odds now that the Seahawks and 49ers will play each other in the 3-6 matchup in the first round of the playoffs with the team that wins the <laughs> NFC West getting to host that one. Not dissimilar, I guess they didn't play each other, but not dissimilar to the stakes when they played in the last week of the season several years ago. We'll uh, see. It's too early. There's so many fucking weeks in a football season now. There, there are a lot of weeks. Seven weeks left for the Seahawks coming off the bye. Can I talk about something, though? Of course you can. I want to start a dialogue, and I want to start that dialogue about Offensive Rookie of the Year. Hello. Because there are 16 players with listed Offensive Rookie of the Year odds at Caesars Sportsbook by William Hill. Do you want to know how many of those players are offensive linemen? Zero. Zero. This is absurd. My take is absurd? No, but there's zero. Absurd. Okay. Yeah. Like, Ken Walker III is the favorite. He hasn't started for the Seahawks all season. There were several games he didn't play at all. One game he was pretty much uh, entirely ineffective as a rusher. Which one was that? The Buccaneers game? Yeah. Yeah. Abraham Lucas... And Charles Cross have started every game. So you want to start an argument have been for very tandem good. rookies of the year? I don't know about tandem rookies of the year. But Abe Lucas of, probably gets the nod. I, I would go Lucas <clears throat> over Cross if forced to choose. But one of them, I mean, like Christian Watson is moving up in terms of his odds. He didn't even like, wasn't a factor at all in the last two weeks. This is so fucking fantasy football dominated. Like people can't think of anything but skill position players when we know how important offensive linemen are. Like, there's no question that if you actually think about it, Abe Lucas and Charles Cross have been more important to the Seahawks' success offensively this season than Ken Walker III is. But it's Ken Walker III that's the clear favorite for game of the year. Like, nothing against Ken Walker III's performance, but we know the relative value of offensive linemen and running backs, especially given their playing time. I'm trying to see if uh, Quentin Nelson one rookie of the year in the 2018 season. I'm sure he didn't, but he's been maybe the most important rookie offensive lineman that we've seen in that time period. Right. right? Should we look this up? Who was the last? Uh, he was named to the pro bowl as a rookie. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that that necessarily guarantees it though. Oh, he didn't win the rookie of the year. Who was the last offensive lineman to win NFL offensive rookie of the year? <laughs> Saquon Barkley, I believe, won Rookie of the Year. <laughs> I mean, I'm all for this argument if you're giving the Rookie of the Year to bad players. Uh, I'm scrolling here. It has never happened. Wow. Is, I like that you're starting the dialogue, though. It has exclusively been... The dialogue starts here, people. <laughs> well, no, I haven't seen anyone. Maybe someone else has been pointing this out, but I haven't seen it. So I wanted to start this dialogue and throw this out there. I agree with you. Like, it's not exactly the same as arguing Walter Jones for MVP in 2005 or 2006 or whichever year that was, 2005, which he obviously should have won over Sean Alexander. But, like, Sean Alexander started every game, scored a shit ton of touchdowns. Like, I get why Sean Alexander won it. I, I was going through Rookies of the Year recently with Baby Fantasy Genius, and Eddie Lacy winning Offensive Rookie of the Year in 2013 is just like, 
I don't even know how that... Also, how recently Todd Gurley was a rookie. Like, wow. you don't have to go yeah. that far back in rookies to get to Todd Gurley. And it feels like he last played in the NFL an eternity ago. Yeah. It's almost like the Rookie of the Year is a bad award. I, I mean, I don't think it's a good You get a cup for Best New Artist at the Grammys also. <laughs> like, <laughs> Best Heavy Metal Album. Uh, I... I agree with you. And the the way that they should do it is it should be tandem rookies of the year. Co-rookies of the year. Co-rookies of the year. Offensive. Charles Cross and Abe Lucas together. Be able to vote them as a unit. Right there. Maybe if you get two, maybe they'll equal one wide receiver who was bad for most of the season and then got a few touchdowns in the last couple of weeks. And I'm starting him next week in fantasy. Of course you are. Uh I, I agree with you. At the same time, it would be great if Ken Walker were to win Rookie of the Year, I guess. Yeah. I would be happy for him if he won. But don't don't think he's the best candidate or one of the two best candidates on his own team. All right. who Who is... So Ken Walker's the favorite. Who's after him? Uh, I do not have this pulled up at the moment. So I feel like there's some like active... Like you said, Christian Watson was moving up. He had like four catches for 40 yards and just happened to have two touchdowns. That's truly remarkable. I'm telling you, this is just a fantasy football award. All right, Damian Pierce is next at plus 300 at uh, William Hill. Uh, Caesar Sports. Well, if, who, if you have in fantasy, yikes. <clears throat> I mean, I, I'm not going to overreact to one game. What about all the other games? He's generally been very good this season. What are you talking about? I'm not happy with Damian Pierce right now. Where you drafted him, undoubtedly, it was been good value. Uh, Ken Walker the third is minus one fifty for the record. Chris Olave is plus five fifty, and then it's Christian Watson at plus fifteen hundred. Followed by Isaiah Pacheco, Brian Robinson, oh, Jr., my boy Pacheco, Garrett Wilson, George Pickens, Rashad White, Kenny Pickett, Isaiah Likely, Drake London, James Cook, Alec Pierce, these are just Jaquan Thornton, and Tyler Algier. Tyler these are all Algier. players who are listed <laughs> ahead of the Seahawks <laughs> offensive lineman. Yeah, who was the one ahead of them? Huh? Like Isaiah Likely? Isaiah Likely, the tight end for the Ravens. Yeah, game. but who else? There was one more in, in between there. Alec Pierce or Tyquan uh, Thornton? Tyquan Thornton. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. It's like they're going out of their way to not put Charles Cross oh, and yeah. Lucas on the board. Of 100% they are. But they know. They know who's going to get voted for. There's no E.K. Aquano. There's no Evan Neal. I don't think those guys have played as well. Uh, Tyquan Thornton plays for the Patriots, apparently. Oh. Today I, I think I think I might have known that. Uh, Let's see what his stats are this season. I really can't wait. He has 10 catches... <laughs> For 86 yards. <laughs> He's on the board of 10 catches. Oh, my God. Cross and Lucas, I believe, have played every play this season, right? <laughs> truly, truly impressive stuff oh, here. Man. Look, Tyquan Thornton's been running some routes. I'm <laughs> sure he, he ran some routes where he didn't get thrown at. So I mean, he is up at a solid 21 targets. So, you know, he's catching <laughs> like le- almost targets. half of his targets. He is averaging about four yards per target. <laughs> so Cliff Kingsbury likes that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we talk about the Raiders? Uh, so that's what I was saying about, about Oregon. Because of fantasy football, I have watched... So much Raiders football. They've also been on national TV a lot. Yes. But it's like the Chargers and the Raiders, I feel like 
Maybe it's just also just being in that afternoon window, being a West Coast team, because there's so few games in the afternoon window, that you end up seeing those teams quite a bit. But 100%. having Devonta Adams on both of my Pelton Cast fantasy teams means I have watched a lot of Raiders. And I have also learned that Devonta Adams is the only good player on the Raiders. <laughs> I don't know if I would quite say that. Uh, after making the playoffs last year and adding Devontae Adams, the Raiders are 3-7 and seven under first-year head coach Josh McDaniels after Sunday's overtime yes. win over the Broncos in Denver. America's team right there. That was huge. That, that was one, a fun one. It, uh, that one snapped a three-game losing streak that also included a home loss to the struggling Indianapolis Colts in Jeff Saturday's debut as head coach. Most of those losses have been close. The Raiders are now one in six in games decided by seven points or fewer after going six and one in those games during the regular season last year, including all four wins during their four game winning streak to finish the 2021 season and make the playoffs. Is as, as much as you might not think this, their offense has merely been wildly inconsistent. They're actually 15th in offensive DVOA. Uh, last week was one of two performances better than plus 40% DVOA adjusted for opponent as they were going against that strong Denver defense, but they also have two worse than minus 40%. The Seahawks, by contrast, have only one offensive game, that being at Detroit, which was very good, outside the 21% range in either direction, so half, basically. What are the two games you, What are the two games that are minus 40 for the Raiders? Wait, I want to look them up really quick. Well, it was the Saints game where they didn't get the ball across midfield until the fourth quarter. Uh, that that, that was one bad. Yeah. is someone who is starting both Derek Carr but, and Devontae Adams that okay. week. Devontae Adams tough one. and Josh Jacobs. I, has one, two, three, four, five, six games. Is that right? Six games with 100 yards, one game with 95 yards. It has one game with one catch for three yards and another game with uh, five catches or two catches for 12 yards. You know what they call this? What? The Taekwon Thornton. <laughs> the Taekwon Thornton. Who <laughs> would rookie of the year? Was the other game the Cardinals? They probably It probably wasn't that game, the Cardinals, where they played bad offensively. I don't believe it was. Uh, he also was bad in the Tennessee game. But that's what I'm saying, is that as Devontae Adams goes, that's how the Raiders' offense goes. So it's not necessarily that they've been wildly inconsistent overall. It's that you can look and see right there in his stats, in the games that he has played well, they've, had, they've been a fairly okay offensive team. And in the games that he hasn't and hasn't gotten open, they've done almost nothing. Uh, the other one was the Chargers game. By the way, last week they had a 91% offensive pass DBOA. Which is week one really against shocking. the Chargers? Yeah. Huh. All right. Uh, overall, Derek Carr, 17th in the EPA plus CPOE composite on rbsdm.com, down one spot from last season. He's 12th in the EPA category, but has negative completion percentage over expected, which is reversing his splits from last season. Uh, after ranking first and second the past two years in Football Outsiders DR, Devontae Adams down to 11th in his first season with the Raiders. His catch percentage is just 57% after 73% last season, 77% in 2021 Tyler Lockett-esque stuff. Uh, his 14 fi five yards per completion are a career high, but the result is still a drop of nearly a <clears throat> yard per target from his performance with Rodgers the last two seasons. Uh, does have 10 of the Raiders' 15 receiving touchdowns. Seahawks held Adams in check last year when Rodgers was coming back from his uh, week of COVID with seven catches and 11 targets for 78 yards. But the previous two matchups, 10 catches and 12 targets for 166 yards in the regular season in 2018, eight catches and 11 targets for 160 yards and two touchdowns in the 2020 playoffs. 
will be fun to see him against Tariq Woolen, especially well, if your theory is correct. Well, and I think what we've seen is that he's not necessarily just lining up. He's not going to be opposite Tariq Woolen all the time. Right. And I think that's more of what the issue is. And you could see it watching him, like watching almost every play that he has in fantasy. Devontae Adams can get lost very easily defensively in, in the worst way possible for a defense, right? He is able to find space and get into it. And I wouldn't say that necessarily plays to the Seahawks' strength. It's going to be important for them and for the secondary to be able to communicate and make sure that they are keeping track of him wherever he is. Because those touchdowns, you saw them against the, against the Broncos. There was nobody near him for either of the touchdowns. And the Seahawks have had those kind of belt coverage busts at times, including the Julio Jones touchdown in Munich. Uh, we will see, by the way, Trey Brown back on the 53 will play this Sunday to some degree. Uh, Matt Collins has stepped up as the number two receiving target for Carr with both Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro Island. Actually, pretty good. Uh, heavy Josh Jacobs targets have yielded just six point oh, yards yeah. apiece. Still like them as <clears throat> someone with Jacobs on my team. He has been very effective on the ground, leading the NFL in D- rushing DR, ranking third on a per play basis in DVOA. It's probably the most top-heavy run attack in the NFL. Jacob's backups, Brandon Bolden and Zamir White, have 16 combined carries all season. That's kind of wild. I, I, I didn't realize that. Leaning on Josh Jacobs. Uh, I, I do think if they're running the ball, it's probably still a win for the defense. And there have been a, t- a number of drives where they're running the ball fairly consistently. Again, the Raiders have been on national TV all the fucking time, too. I feel like it's kind of constantly. But where they're running the ball fairly consistently and then stall out, right? Where if the defense can do this bend but don't break, not give up the big plays, do what Pete Carroll wants to do, you can give up some first downs. It's not that big of a deal to give up two or three first downs to get the Raiders to midfield or whatever. Let them kick field goals all they want, but they can't give up more than that. Would you like some good news on the national TV schedule? What is that? A lot of Colts coming up. Oh, God. (laughs) Hope you like runs. Not even hope you like runs. Hope you like people complimenting Jeff Saturday <laughs> on the runs <laughs> on the punts. Uh, so while the offense has been inconsistent, the defense has been consistent. They've been consistently bad. They don't have a single game this season better than league average defensively in DVOA and rank 32nd overall. Their rush defense merely below average. The pass defense DVOA is as far from number 31 Jacksonville as the Jaguars are from number 20 wow. in the league. This is why it's shocking that Russell Wilson like had a seemingly good day, but it was like still a bad day because he was going against the Raiders. Uh, opponents are completing 71.5% of their passes against them, which would rank second among quarterbacks behind Geno Smith. There we go. Which I'm very curious to see how Geno's, what completion percentage is going to be Geno this Smith himself is ahead of the completion percentage against the team who gives up the worst completion percentage? Yes. Wow. But no one else is. Look at Geno. Uh, albeit for a below-average 10.6 yards per completion. Uh, Despite sacking Russell Wilson three times, they have the league's lowest sack rate and their lowest interception rate, just three all season. Max Crosby has nine sacks, but no other player has more than one, more than (laughs) one all season. Truly shocking, given the addition of Chandler Jones, who had 10.5 last season in Arizona. And the card, perhaps predictably, given that the Raiders have been especially poor on third down, where only the Lions have a lot of higher success rate or EPA per play. You know what the that sounds like to me? It's going to be an important week for co-rookies of the year, Abe <laughs> Lucas and Charles Cross. <laughs> Can you state their case? 
They'll be they have to shut down Max Crosby and only Max Crosby uh, from the end. So it's going to be a big big week for them. Honestly, they're. This is a team that is so bad defensively that they made Russell Wilson look good. Like, okay. <laughs> they made Russell Wilson look okay. He had open receivers in that game. <sighs> and I coming off the bye, some of the health that the, the way that these receivers have been rested, giving a week to scheme it up, like I think this offense is going to really move in this game. Cody Barton has more sacks than any Raiders player besides Max Crosby. That is wild. Uh I I'm excited to watch. I never thought that I would say these say these words. I'm excited to watch Geno Smith against this Raiders defense. I can't freaking wait to watch Geno Smith against this Raiders defense. Especially when you say like that one of the nearest teams to them gives up more third down, higher success rate, EPA per players, Lions. And we saw Geno against the Lions. We did. And that I, was fun. I don't know if the the Raiders are gonna try to blitz the way that the Lions did. They also may be a little more prepared for the bootleg action to the tight end because literally anyone would be more Not prepared the Cardinals. for the bootleg. Well, they got, it got him the one time, very crucially. Oh, no it got the Cardinals like four times in that game. I, I don't think it got them for like eight. Like Detroit was like 20 yards a play every time they <laughs> ran the bootleg. It was very bad. It's shocking that Aaron Glenn still had a job after it. Uh, I'm glad the Lions defense has been playing better lately. I, I just, this is, I, I think that Devontae Adams against the Seahawks secondary, I'm fascinated to see it. He's going to score a touchdown, and he's going to have a big play. There's no doubt in my mind that he scores a touchdown of 30-plus yards. But the Seahawks offense is going to score in this game. They're going to be able to pass the ball. I mean, it is a measure of Las, the, the broader Las Vegas in the gambling communities continued disrespect for the Seahawks. Absolute disrespect. That it's only a minus 3.5 line in this game. Where do the Raiders rank overall in DVOA? 25th. 25th. They have, they've been in the games, though. I think yes. that's part of it. Yes. That's part of why the line isn't what it is, because it's not like they've been getting crushed by these lines. That is true. But 3.5 is still pretty low for a home team. I think people see the Raiders and they recognize that there's talent. Also, people Sorry, are very... 26. The, the Broncos are 25th. People are tantalized by offensive talent also. And the Raiders, even though their offense hasn't been playing that well, they have big name offensive talent. And we do know that offense is more consistent week to week. So that, that's probably not a terrible approach. But you know what offense ranks higher than them? And if offense is more consistent week to week, playing against that Raiders defense... This one, this is going to be a fun one. I mean, if you even if you look at Dave with the preseason ex- expectations for the, uh, the the two teams, Raiders 20th, Seahawks 11th. Let me ask like, you a question. The, they're the better team, and they're at home. They should be like five-point favorites. Let me ask you a question, though. Okay. Geno Smith in the rain? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, it's not, the forecast is not necessarily that rainy here on Sunday, is it? I, I don't know. Last I It's pretty far away. I see a 70% chance of rain. Okay. It kind of looks like a Seattle November day. <laughs> yes. 45 and rainy. Saturday looks okay. But Sunday is rainy. Look at Thursday, though. Thanksgiving, baby. Oh, it's going to be great. All right. Little Thanksgiving right after football. this, tune in Nate Duncan for your beautiful Seattle Thanksgiving. Chances of victory? 78%. I'm 70%. I'm not quite that confident. They're playing a bad team at home who can't play defense. It's not strength against strength. 
It is Geno Smith, MVP contender Geno Smith, playing against the Raiders. Have, who's the best team the Raiders has, have beaten this season? I don't have a sense for that off the top of my head. I feel like they beat one good team. So they're Maybe they were just close against the Chiefs. Their three wins this season are Denver, Houston, Denver. Oh, shit. All right, I'm up in the odds. 75%. Wow. That's all it took. That is all it but, took. But, I mean, look at, these, look at the scores of these games. They beat. They lost to the Titans by two, to the Chiefs by one. That game against the Saints was a massacre. To the Colts by five. Like... And to the Jags by a touchdown. They've been they've been close, but but also that's not a real imposing schedule that they've gone three and seven against, which is why they are twenty sixth in DVOA. And then they they lost that Cardinals game that they probably should have won on the fumble. Yeah, yeah, they're a bad team, and they 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 are a bad team in the places that the Seahawks are good. And the Seahawks defense, like looking at the Seahawks fantasy football-wise and even DVOA-wise, like this is kind of just a good defense. The Seahawks defense? Yeah, where do they rank DVOA-wise now? 16th. Yeah. They're fine. That's all. But when your offense is that good, 16th is fine. We're, we're 16th like 16th is fine. You were talking about the Raiders not being that bad offensively when they were 15th. Right. So how are the Seahawks not, not that bad defensively when they're 16th? Well, you were calling them good, and I think most people think the Raiders' offense has been bad because they've, but that's they've also, been bad. They've been th- that bad. is 16th with multiple weeks of being the worst defense in the NFL at the beginning of the season. But those aren't necessarily that much less predictive. All right. So I'm feeling good about this one. I can't freaking wait. I'm excited. We had a week off for football. I'm excited to be back at it. It's going to be a lot, a lot of sports. I'm going to be streaming po- this while I'm in Portland watching college basketball games. Post-Thanksgiving football. That's like the season's really on now. That's true. That's when it gets started. On that note, stay tuned. <laughs> enjoy the, uh, the Thanksgiving food special. And we are joined by one of the most popular third Pelton brothers in the history of the Pelton cast. <laughs> a star podcaster in his own right you know him from the dunked on basketball nba podcast please welcome back to the show to share his food expertise with us once again nate duncan well i wasn't popular enough that tristan actually was able to make time to go out for burgers with me the last time i was in seattle (laughs) you're popular as far as a podcaster goes yeah yeah that's right (laughs) people like me much better if they don't have to actually see me in person i think is what i'm learning here uh, no, I, I severely regret not being able to do that. Uh, it was one of my biggest regrets, regrets from this last summer. But I hope that you know the uh, food podcasting will extend even beyond what we're going to talk about today. Yes, yes, that that is my hope as well. Yeah, I mean, first off, when we start doing TJ's Today or Trader Bros or Trader Joe's podcast, obviously Nate will be a frequent guest on that podcast. <laughs> but that's not here. What we're here to discuss today. We're here to discuss the holiday that is coming later this week, and that is Thanksgiving. And the food is a crucial part of Thanksgiving, so we wanted to count down in classic Pelton Cast fashion our top five Thanksgiving foods. Something we actually did on this podcast during its very first year, way back in 2013. And it was interesting to go back, and I, I compared, and my list has changed. So I'm, I'm curious to see whether yours oh, has changed, Tristan. The takes are hotter. <laughs> the meteoric growth of the podcast has changed your tastes. You're just <laughs> truffled, truffled gravy and uh, you know, caviar turkey is all you have these days. 
That's interesting. Those did not crack my top five. <laughs> All of mine are much more burger related now. I, <laughs> yeah. I literally just got finished eating a Thanksgiving burger. So I'm trying to combine everything. Do you want to give your review here? You gave it on, on Twitter, but do you want to give your review of that burger here on the pod? Uh, it was excellent. I mean, I, I've always wanted a burger to have gravy on it, and that finally happened for me today. <laughs> uh, should we talk a little about Thanksgiving in general? Maybe, maybe quickly. Nate, I know when we first, when I first approached you about this, you had said you had some unorthodox Thanksgiving food takes. Well, I guess I'm just really, uh, I, I, I'll spoil my list probably if I if I explain what those are. But I will say that Thanksgiving may in fact be my favorite holiday. Yes, oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I mean, definitely from an eating perspective, it's the best. Well, also, I would say from that standpoint, uh, also just it's not like just deathly cold if you're in like a cold climate yet. Uh, there's some solid sports going on, and also you really you get four full days off, which is really the only holiday where you're guaranteed to get that uh, each year. Right. Many people do get that break between Christmas and New Year's, but not everyone. All right, so I say, I guess let's get into it. Nate, you're the guest, so let's start off with your number five Thanksgiving food. Let's see, number five. I guess I would have to go with, maybe this is controversial because it's not a traditional Thanksgiving food, but uh, macaroni and cheese. Mm. So I don't know if that's controversial. We, I don't think, have ever had mac and cheese at our Thanksgiving, so I couldn't put it on the list. But if we did have it, I'm sure it would be in my top five. I mean, mac yeah, and it, cheese is just a good food in sure. general. And, and it's just like... It adds to the idea of Thanksgiving, which is just way more starch than you need. It's just like, <laughs> like every single side dish is just like this massive amount of starch. Like there's one thing that I like about Thanksgiving is like regular vegetables really are, are relegated to the sidelines. And it's all just like meat and starch, basically. Pretty much. Yeah. It's you're you're loading up for the long winter. <laughs> All right, Tristan, what did you have in your number five spot? So I, I went with number five as kind of the capper to my list, which would be the capper to the Thanksgiving meal. And I went with pumpkin pie at the number five spot. Probably like carrot cake, too, don't you? No, don't like carrot cake. But I was saying I could I could see a sweet potato pie here also. Oh, spoiler oh. alert. Spoiler oh, alert. And and the the perfect way to eat a pumpkin pie or a sweet potato pie is with vanilla bean ice cream on the side. On the, not on top? Around it, in the general area. I, I just, I can't, like, this is just a general issue that I have with desserts, is that the idea of we're going to take something that on its own isn't a dessert and isn't sweet, and then we're going to put a crap load of sugar on it and put it into, like, a pie or a cake, and now we're going to call it a dessert. Like, carrot cake, pumpkin pie, sweet potato pie, like, all these things are not, like, actually dessert foods, and now you're just adding a bunch of sugar to make it a, a dessert food. Noodle, noodle kugel is like that too. You guys probably don't even know what that is, but like, <laughs> no. but you know, but but in in the Jewish, the realm of Jewish foods, it falls into that category as well. It's basically like a, a sugary, like noodle-based dessert. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I just in general, it, it, and carrot cake, of course, is like the most the most egregious offender in that category. I would agree with that because I mean, at least pumpkins. They're not like full-on savory. Like they're they're still in the more in the sweet family. And I would say that's that's certainly true, obviously, of sweet potatoes. Uh, carrots, them in sweet is incompatible to me. So I will not eat carrot cake. Yeah, I mean, at any time you can take something that's basically inedible as a raw food and put <laughs> it into a pie. 
You have to do it. Panute's really not going to like my list. So in the number five spot. <laughs> wait, wait. I, I had a question for Nate first. Nate, let's, it's Thanksgiving at the Duncan household. What are you having for dessert? Uh, you know what? I generally i am so locked in on some of my favorites that I don't even really have much. You know, there's there'll be some pumpkin pie. Usually, usually my uncle, who, like, can't cook at all, uh, he and his wife, like, can't really cook at all. So they'll, like go to like Baker's square, which is, you know, a pretty like mediocre pie place and like bring over a bunch of pies. So that'll usually be the, the dessert here. But I, I really, I'm just not focused on dessert at Thanksgiving time. The rest of the food is just too good. It, it the, the opportunity cost is just too high. I can respect that. All right. In my number five spot, I had rolls, which I think are, I know the, I know that you're going to be upset, Tristan, but uh, I think they're an important part of a quality Thanksgiving meal, but I think they're more something that complements the best parts of a Thanksgiving meal rather than being the best part themselves. Is that the rolls that are kind of like they get served in like, you know, like a nine pack with they're all kind of stuck together and they're they're like yellow for some reason that you don't really understand. And <laughs> and like they're served with a bunch of butter. I, mean, I, yes. I don't mind those rolls. Yeah, but I, they're, I just, yellow, just want to make sure we so know what we're talking about them. here. Yeah. <laughs> they're not stuck together, the ones we've had at least. OK, Nate, what's your number four? I would probably go with oh, I'm really torn here. I think I'd go with cranberry sauce, but but. This is a, a vestige of my youth. There's still a few of those floating around. It's got to just be the incredibly crappy <laughs> and cranberry sauce with like you take it out of the can and you still see the ridges from the can on the side of it as it's put into the bowl. Uh, and then also, you know, this is a, a quick aside here, but when people scoop out from that cranberry sauce and like really like take away the can shape like if they like they don't like i realize you're using a spoon but if you're not at least sort of like taking from both sides so it like continues to be in like the cylindrical shape until the end you know if they're just taking like you know a quadrant out of it that always kind of bothered me a little bit <laughs> it's like stepping on snow for the first time like the first snow <laughs> yeah, that's the yeah, first exactly that's right. of cranberry sauce <laughs> 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 Except no imitations for the canned cranberry sauce. Yeah, can we just end fancy cranberry sauce? I mean, it, it begins and ends with the can in the shape of a can. You know, I wouldn't mind the idea of like a little better tasting cranberry sauce with a little more texture, but the whole berries in there, especially because like it always seems like they don't get the stems off the berries. And there's like the, you'll get like stems <laughs> this fancier cranberry sauce. And not a okay, Tristan, you're number four. Uh, for number four, I mean, to me, this might be a bit of a wild card, but I'm going mashed potatoes. That is not a wild card because number mashed potatoes is also my number four Thanksgiving. Okay, I, I thought I thought maybe it'd be higher, but to me, mashed potatoes are just a vessel for my number one item, which you can guess what it is. Which is funny because, by the way, you had mashed potatoes number two the last time we did this. Did I? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I've been these these last few years have been rough for me and mashed potatoes. But mashed potatoes just outside my, my top five. At, at, oh, at wow. Tenebra. Honorable mention. Yeah. Okay, so mashed potatoes, we can all agree, have been going down in the last few years. <laughs> People are out on mashed potatoes. Uh, but I yeah. want There's the, just not that much going on there. Yeah, I want the butteriest, fluffiest mashed potatoes possible. If it's basically just regular potatoes, but they happen to be mashed, uh, almost completely inedible at that point. A, a quick aside, by the way, my, my father, who came to great fame uh, uh, the last time we did a, a food-related podcast, is the, the man who salted his fast food McDonald's hamburgers. <laughs> The uh, the hungry man like mashed potato flakes 
dehydrated flakes that were then mixed with like milk and butter. Uh, those were a staple uh, of our childhood as well for uh, for Phil Duncan. I don't think we ever did that. We just did uh, probably the you know the frozen mashed potatoes that came with uh, the Salisbury steak and that sort of thing. Salisbury steak, man. I, we never even we never got subjected to that. <laughs> Right. Well, we shouldn't spoil a forthcoming pod. We we hope to do one down the road on frozen foods. Those mashed potatoes have defined what I look for in mashed potatoes, though. Like frozen mashed potatoes in a little plastic tray has defined what I want in mashed potatoes for the rest of my life. That's That sounds horrible. <laughs> okay. Your number four is mashed potatoes? Yes. I, I, I have nothing further to add here, I guess. Uh, Nate, your number three? Uh, I would go with stuffing. And, you know, it's got to be there. I have a few stipulations, obviously, like there can be some bad stuffing out there. Yes. Like I, I will. I want it to be crispy uh, to the extent that that's possible. Obviously, having some turkey drippings on it as well is excellent. Uh, getting some sausage in there, uh, especially when it's like really well intermingled with the rest of the stuffing. You can't have just like these big balls of sausage and then, you know, n- not good enough sausage distribution and then too much celery i think has really has been the bane of many a stuffing i was gonna say stuffing doesn't reach my top five but if i see a single piece of celery in that stuffing i'm not eating it (laughs) (laughs) i'm with you on this and even onions i like onions in some context but i do not want the crisp the crunch in my stuffing i want it to be I actually, unless it's the crunch of the baked, like, top of the stuffing, that's the only crunch I want. Precisely. Yeah, but it has to be, like, one big mealy mess. You don't want to really be able to differentiate exactly what you're eating. So I agree with you about the sausage. Yeah, yeah. All right, your number three, Tristan. My number three is kind of the the main course, and that's turkey, and specifically dark meat turkey. White meat is fine. Totally fine turkey, but the dark meat turkey is always the winner. Yeah, I would agree with that. So turkey is only number three for you, huh? Yeah, I mean, again, so much of it is just a vessel for my number one item, which kind of pulls the whole meal together. (laughs) But the the turkey, the white meat turkey, can be good. I feel like white meat turkey has a much higher variance, where if you can get a really good piece of white meat turkey, it probably exceeds the best dark meat turkey. But dark meat is always good solid in every single situation but that white meat when it's dry is no good to me well first off you've just explained that dark that white meat in turkey it's the volume shooter of the thanksgiving meal it's probably taking a lot of shots it's probably too many shots because there are more misses than there are hits yeah i mean well so what's your thanksgiving ritual do you guys go to like a different place every year is it like you know certain aspects of the family will like host each each year because for me it's like Wednesday. My sister does her Friendsgiving. She's like uh, unbelievable. She invites like, you know, 40 people over for Wednesday night because uh, she like works in the service industry and she usually is working on actual Thanksgiving. And then uh, my stepfather, uh, who like absolutely kills it then with like actual Thanksgiving. So I've, I refuse to go to any Thanksgiving that's not those two because I know that they're turkey and, and, uh, they're, Number one item, which, God, we're really building the suspense for what this number one item is. No one, no one could possibly guess what it would be, uh, are, are impeccable in both cases. Um, it's always been our aunt and uncle for a long period of time have hosted our family at Thanksgiving. And I don't want to disparage the turkey that, that our uncle is cooking. It's, it's a good turkey, but 
It's just, I, I think, an inherent limitation of the form. But what is Phil Duncan doing on Thanksgiving? Uh, he is. He's going to be um, going to my sister's friendsgiving, and then I think he's doing something with my stepsister on. on okay, uh, he's, he's got some mashed potato Thursday. flakes. <laughs> Yeah, no, he's, it's funny though, like, I mean, cause like my sister and I have just like these massive foodies now. I mean, she, she's like for real, she actually like works in the industry. Like she's like a level beyond me on both appreciating food and drink. You know, I'm, I'm more of like a master of the, of the plebeian foods as we've discussed on, on previous podcasts. But, um, you know, he just like, he'll go to these things with us, but he, he just doesn't like appreciate it as much. Like food is just like not as important to him, I think, as, you know, it is for, some of us, uh, some others of us in the family. Do you do you feel like this is a, a major aside? But do you feel like that's a generational thing? Because for us, like the young people in our family, all we care about is eating the best possible food. And it feels like the older generation, the like baby boom generation, just wants to eat large quantities for as cheap as possible. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Although, I mean, like my stepfather is certainly like quite the, the gourmet or the gourmand. I don't know what the difference between a gourmet and a gourmand is. Um, but you know, I, I definitely I mean, I think it, they're definitely for our age and certainly the people that we hang out with, uh, you know, nearly everyone that I know is like very interested in discussing food, whereas, you know, it's much more hit or miss in the older generation. Yeah, it would be weird to me if I had a friend who wasn't that interested in discussing food. Yeah, because you'd. Then you'd have to talk to them about basketball, and if they weren't interested in basketball, then you would have nothing exactly. to discuss with exactly. them at all. The conversation would be over at that point. Maybe, maybe football if, if we're stretching. Yeah, all right, yeah. my number three here was sweet potato pie, which somehow did not make my list uh, four years ago when we did this. Apparently, I had not eaten sufficient sweet potato pie at this point. But isn't it my aside here? Is that it turns out that the best sweet potato pie is actually now being made by McDonald's. Tristan, I thought you were going to jump in to back me oh, up here yeah. because you also have had. You know, first off, they have. Oh, that's pumpkin pie. Not sweet potato oh. pie. Oh. Yes. Second off, you did not. Yeah. Imagine not pie. being able to tell what, what an ingredient was at McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> the distinct flavor balance. You're going to have to oh, edit that God. out completely. Just that, that was never spoken. Me, me and Nate will never relay that to anybody else. No, I think I'm leaving it in. I think it's good. <laughs> Uh, the best pies. I have the best nothing pies to add there. But no, sweet potato pie over over pumpkin pie is a solid favorite there in that matchup. I know <laughs> I'm alone here. Okay. No, no, I don't. I don't think you're wrong about that. I think sweet potato pie is kind of like maybe like a, a hipster pie. <laughs> I feel like sweet potato sweet potato pie is one of the coolest pies there are right now. I usually hate having hipster food takes. <laughs> Pumpkin um, pie is, is the older generation's pie. All right, I've I've already made my derisive opinion known on, on those foods, so I'll, I'll just take it to my number two, I guess. Uh, that would be the turkey. Um, it, I'm more of a white meat person again, just because the people who took who cook my white meat turkey do an impeccable job. It's always awesome, um, to the point where it's even awesome as leftovers as well. I mean, that's one of the bigger reasons that I like it. I think it, it as like a sandwich, especially like if you take like a little like a French bread put some turkey on there and then you just slather it in our as yet unnamed number one uh <laughs> food <laughs> uh it really uh is outstanding so it, turkey i mean that probably turkey plus number one i would say encompasses 75 percent of my consumption at thanksgiving Interesting. wow all right tristan you're number two 
For number two, I went with uh, biscuits slash rolls, basically the bread that you're making your Thanksgiving sandwich out of. Because the number one way to eat Thanksgiving dinner is to take all of it and put it into a sandwich. Every single item that you have there. Today I had that same thing, except with a burger patty on there too. <laughs> and cranberry. Every single thing you're having at Thanksgiving, and you smash it all together as high as possible, and you make that into a sandwich. And the, the roll is, you know, it's holding it all together. If you have a soft, fluffy, buttery roll, it can make that the best meal that you're having all year. Yeah, I mean, I guess this is more of like the biscuit to me is the more of the role player in this in this equation. So that's what or I'm sorry, the role. Yeah, it was, the role is the role player. Oh, I didn't, didn't even put that together until now. Uh, so I don't have it rated quite as highly, even though I agree it's an important part of a winning team. Uh, my number two. What is your number two then? Since I'm I'm the only person to mention these at all, sweet potatoes, and and more specifically, a gif of Vernon Davis saying sweet potato candy yams is actually my number two. Um, I, I mean, I like eating sweet potatoes on their own. I, my typical fall like side dish will be to just do a baked sweet potato and, and eat that since it's pretty simple and, uh, and, and pretty tasty. And when you then add marshmallows and brown sugar on top of that, I mean, it's delicious. That could be the dessert. I would be fine with that. Should we talk about gravy now? Yeah, let's oh. get to, we've been waiting this whole time. <laughs> the consensus Number one. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I mean, it, my stepfather, he makes like double the amount of gravy just for me. Like my, I would say that my plate, there's no like, first of all, like whatever plate I'm using has to have like some sort of an edge. We used to have these great like brown plates that had almost like an inch edge on the side. And that edge was all the way like over at the edge it wasn't like okay there's like a middle portion and then there's an edge on that and then there's this superfluous like edge to the plate that's decorative but doesn't actually like have any room for your food now this these plates were amazing we've kind of gone away from that in recent years but nonetheless like i have every inch of my plate that isn't covered by a food item is covered with gravy and i get so much gravy in each bite i make sure that each bite of turkey is completely soaked in gravy each bite of mashed potatoes is each bite of stuffing often as well that even so, with that much gravy, it is there's no gravy left on the plate by the time I, I have finished that plate. It is my absolute favorite. But the caveat is you got to have great gravy because bad gravy can just ruin your entire Thanksgiving. And that, that of course, is why I'm so fastidious about where I have my Thanksgiving. That's true. Justin, do you? Easily number one. I mean, not, not even a competitor to gravy on the Thanksgiving meal. I mean, basically, gravy is number one, two, three, four, and five, especially because when you're making the gravy out of the drippings from the turkey, which is how gravy should be made, you have so much turkey in there already. It's like when I'm making gravy from those drippings, I'll pull off a bunch of little pieces from the turkey, the moistest pieces, mix them all around so that if you wanted to, you could scoop some mashed potatoes, do the little hole in the middle with the gravy, and that could even be your turkey. You don't need large pieces pieces of turkey you can have it floating around in your gravy and it is excellent like have you have you uh i mean i, I remember there was one time uh this is a, my previous girl that i dated uh, this is really probably the beginning of the end of our relationship like we were at her place they went for like a deep fried turkey actually what they did was they like they did the like oh let's buy the deep fryer like cook the turkey in it and then like try to return it afterwards. Oh my god! <laughs> but but uh and so like her grandmother didn't really like speak much English and so she would just like kind of do stuff and there was just like like there was like no way to stop her you know like at one point apparently she just like 
hid like five thousand dollars in cash like somewhere in the house and like no one knew where it was and they just like never found it again uh but but in any event we were like all set to like make the turkey gravy out of like you know the turkey neck and the gizzard and all that and then like all of a sudden it disappeared and then like it came out we were like what are we gonna do we have to like make turkey uh, like make gravy with like no turkey, like the turkey is in the deep fryer, so like you can't really make it out of the turkey when it's being deep fried. You have to like take out part of the turkey to make the gravy, and then like it came out as like some soup later that like her grandmother had just made, and like no one knew what she was doing, and it was uh, it was not a holly jolly Thanksgiving that year. Wow, <laughs> she ruined Thanksgiving. Oh, man, this, I'm assuming Kevin, this is your number one also. Have you confirmed this? It is my number one also. Yeah, it's the consensus number one for sure. I mean. Yeah, gravy makes gravy is the the key reason why Thanksgiving is such a good food holiday because in no other situation is gravy is prominently featured as on Thanksgiving. Uh, do, do we definitely? So I was talking with my coworkers about this, our top five Thanksgiving items, and I was like, clearly gravy is number one. But one of them argued that gravy shouldn't even count as an item because you're having all of the other things with gravy. It's not like you eat gravy completely on its own, although you could. <laughs> Only decorum prevents us from doing so. But do we feel like it definitely counts as its own Thanksgiving food item? Yeah, why not? It's like the defining thing that has it. I mean, like, like what else? Like, without it, the meal would be nothing. I mean, I guess you could say, like, mashed potatoes with gravy would be, like, a higher one. But, uh, yeah, I, I still think you got to count it separately. Because if, theoretically, it were removed, everything else would fall apart. This podcast is getting way too pedantic for me. This is just not the sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, with, without, gravy, with, without gravy, there's no potatoes, there's no turkey, there's no pilgrims, there's no Charlie Brown. Thanksgiving does not exist without the gravy. Uh, I mean, is this what this podcast is? It's just you guys, like, obsessing about the, the minutiae of food, like, over and over again and, like, categorizing things. I mean, it's just, like, like it's people crazy. don't get bored of that. Like, you know, that's just, it's just not my thing at all. Like, I, I don't know why you invite me on this show. Well, thank you so much for bearing with it. I know this has been a difficult 25 minutes for you, it's Dave. Been a, it's been a struggle for you, I have to say. I, I mean, I, I couldn't even come up with anything to say, honestly. Like, you guys are just, like... It's so so mundane, God. <laughs> Please don't don't write the uh, iTunes reviews for people, man. Come on. Uh, <laughs> all right. On that note, thanks so much for taking the time, Nate. Thanks for listening, and a happy Thanksgiving to everyone. <laughs>